The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning. Hey, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome back to The Refuge Church. Okay, people. Today we start a new sermon series called Peter, Flawed, and Faithful. We're looking at the life of Peter. We'll get more into that, but I want to start by reading the very end of Psalm 139 and use that as our prayer of confession today uh, to prepare our hearts for receiving the word of God and to act upon the word of God. So um, I'll read Psalm 139, 23 and 24, and then I'll just invite us into praying that this morning as our prayer of confession. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in your way everlasting. So I want to start this morning by us just praying uh, by ourselves. As you are just sitting there knowing that that we are gathered as the people of God together, and that's very special to be where two or more are gathered and God is here with us. But I just want you to to take a moment to prepare your own heart and say, God, search my heart. And and the the beauty of these verses is it's not saying, search my heart because I'm doing really well. It literally says, search my heart because there are anxious thoughts in me. I think a lot of us bring that. A lot of us bring to this Sunday morning, man, I'm, I just, I'm not feeling great. God, I'm scared to be around people. I'm, I got this thing at work. Whatever that is, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way. So, so pray right now and then I'll, I'll open us in prayer and, and we'll get into the word of God. Go ahead and offer your prayers to God. God, many of us go through our lives hiding, hoping that people won't really find us out, whether it's because they think we're confident, but really we're people that that struggle with insecurity, or (laughs) they think we're people that know, and we're people that just feel like we're still figuring out so much. People People that struggle with sin still, God, these are, this is who we are, and we pray that you will know us so we can be known people this morning, seeing people that you see us, 
and yet loved people. Know that we're, we're people that, uh, as Nate was saying right at the beginning there, people that are wanted by God. And so we offer up these confessions, God, that we have faults, we have flaws, we have hurt ourselves, and we've hurt others, God, and we, God, we ask for your forgiveness that we can just with confidence enjoy a relationship with you. God, hear your words this morning and go and act on them. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the intro to our sermon series, Peter, Flawed, and Faithful. Peter loves Jesus, but keeps making big life mistakes. Does that story sound familiar? Peter is one of the most prominent characters in the New Testament. He's one of the first people to follow Jesus and one of the first people to understand Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. He is also deeply flawed. Peter hurts Jesus more often than he helps, but Jesus never stops loving and leading him. In this sermon series, you will learn how a strong and beautiful faith can come from a deeply flawed individual who faithfully follows Jesus. I hope this meets many of us right where we're at. The question I want to come into this morning with is, has following Jesus turned out like you hoped it would? Has following Jesus turned out like you hoped it would? Has the experience been what you'd expected? Did you hope to feel more special all the time? I think sometimes we come on a Sunday morning, we just hear the love of God, and we're like, man, I just feel like I could be filled up with that all the time. But honestly, sometimes I'm still wrestling with how I feel. Wrestling with how God feels about me and wrestling with how others feel about me? Are you frustrated by the lack of transformation you see in life? Are you sometimes confused and act impulsively in ways that look nothing like Jesus? Do you sometimes use your words to hurt instead of encourage? Are you sometimes embarrassed to be known as a Christian? Well, if any of these questions hit you, if any of them you relate with, Peter also checks all those boxes. Peter is the second most talked about person in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he is always close to the action, Jesus' right-hand guide, but more often than not, he is a cautionary tale. And what I love about this, Peter, who is deeply flawed and yet by faith, just seems like keeps coming back, keeps finding that way back to the side of Jesus. All these stories that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Peter and his flaws are stories that it's likely Peter told over and over again. I believe all the Gospels were written in Peter's lifetime, and I think these are coming from him, not sharing, man, look at how great I was, but look at how bad I was, and then Jesus still loved me and cared for me and kept inviting me close to himself. It's beautiful. I think a lot of us wrestle, how do I talk about myself? Well, the way Peter talked about himself, as we'll see, is, <laughs> man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. That was crazy. That was me but look at who Jesus loves. Now, as we get into the story of Peter, I I want us to understand how we're meant to read the stories of Peter, and we are meant to read ourselves into the stories. Um, In a a really beautiful, helpful book called Hearing from God, Dallas Willard 
writes this. He says, if we are really to understand the Bible record, we must enter into our study of it on the assumption that the experiences recorded are basically the same type as ours would have been if we had been there. That's the way we're meant to read it. He says, if we don't read it that way, it becomes just a book of doctrine and we will stop reading it altogether. It will just be a book of facts, of, of these like, do this, do this, do this, without seeing the life breathe, God breathes into it, the way he, he graciously invites us in and, and invites our faith to live out in action over and over again after we fail over and over again. We're meant to read the stories of Peter and, and feel that tension of the disappointment when he, he denies Jesus three times and he goes out and he says, and he weeps bitterly. What we're reading today, when Peter is distracted and Jesus is preaching, it just doesn't seem like he cares. Like, we can kind of read ourselves into that text, and we're meant to. We're meant to say, how would he feel when he, he did this? And how would he feel when Jesus said this? And what truth is in there for him, and what truth is there for me? So the, the verses uh, we're in today that I hope you feel, not because faith comes from feeling, not because truth comes from feeling, but because the truth impacts the way we feel, and oftentimes is correcting the way we feel. Um, the story we're in today is a story that actually comes after several experiences that Peter has already had with Jesus. The first experience Peter has with Jesus is him and his brother Andrew have traveled 60 miles from where they are down to near the Sea of Galilee to a place called Bethany, and they have gone to listen to a guy named John the Baptist preach. Now, 60 miles in that day is about a four-day journey. These are blue-collar workers, no health plan, no life insurance, no vacation time. So these are guys who, taking four days to go down to listen to a guy named John the Baptist preach, and then four days back, you're, you're, you're dealing with a chunk of time there where they're not getting reimbursed for their expenses, so this is a lot for them to do, right? They're, they're taking time out because they are spiritually hungry. I think that's what we're meant to read into John 1 is that they are guys who are waiting for the Messiah. And so they're gonna leave their families, their fishing, which is their livelihood, and they're gonna go down just to hear John the Baptist preach. Well, Jesus, who also lives up by them, by the Sea of Galilee, has also made that journey down. And so if you find yourself to John 1, this is the interaction we have here. Starting in, in verse 35, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing, he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard, and then they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus says, What do you want? And they interact with him, him there, and then we find out one of those disciples that were following John, so they must have made this trip often, was Peter's brother, Andrew. Andrew goes and tells his brother, Peter, and the only interaction we have here is Peter shows up and, and Jesus gives him a nickname. He says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, Peter. So that's the first time we meet him. We just meet Peter, who, who is kind of out of his context, out of his hometown, and he's down there, and he, he comes and introduces himself to Jesus, and Jesus gives him a nickname. Cephas, you're Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to call you The Rock before Dwayne Johnson ever was called The Rock. Peter <laughs> was The Rock. That's all we know of John 1. Next time we meet him, Matthew 4. 
They're back in their hometown by the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus is walking by the boats of Peter and Andrew and his dad and he says, come follow me and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Now there's a third time that Jesus meets him, and that is when Jesus goes and heals his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law is sick, goes to Peter's house and heals. But it just seems like after these first three times that we hear about a lot, it seems like Peter feels like things should have gone a little quicker. I think that's the way we, we are meant to read the text here in Luke because Peter has been invited to come, come follow me and I'm gonna make you fishers of men. They were 60 miles away in that first experience going to hear about the Messiah. But now Peter and his brother Andrew are where? They are in Luke 5, as we're gonna read. They're just sitting there cleaning their nets after a long night at sea. So if you wanna turn your Bibles to Luke 5, we're gonna read the story of Peter's awakening to faith. Luke 5, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deeper water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the boats to come and help them. And they came and filled the both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled the boats up on shore and left everything to follow Jesus. So the context here is, it seems like, for one reason or another, Peter and his brothers, James, uh, and his brother Andrew, and then their friends James and John, who all fished together, it seems like their life is kind of separated somehow from Jesus again. We're not told why, we're not told how, but, but Jesus is teaching, he's speaking to everybody there. It's the sermon before the sermon we're gonna hear, really, He's preaching this sermon and he, he asked to get in a boat and get brought out onto the lake so people can hear him better. And this is the first point I want you guys to see that, that Jesus imposes himself on Peter. Jesus imposes himself on Peter. Peter, who's kind of gone back. And, and the way I want to describe, the way I want us to think about Peter in this text is someone who's kind of fallen asleep in faith. He's kind of fallen asleep and he's just gone back to what he's always done. And I think, going back to the questions I asked you guys at the start, have you ever felt like, and you just haven't seen transformation in your life, has, has your walk with Jesus not turned out like you hoped for? Have you heard about the love of God that surpasses all understanding and you're like, man, sometimes I'm just not there. And I think, I think we're meant to read this into where Peter's at. Peter is there just picking at his nets. 
Jesus is teaching. Jesus wants to do some stuff. And Jesus is, Peter is back there just cleaning his nets, just going about his business. And I don't even think we're meant to understand him as paying attention to what Jesus is saying because we actually don't know what Jesus says in his sermon. This is what's going on. He, he is asleep. And, and so that's where we understand Peter. If we're meant to feel where Peter's at, where, feel where he is, is we're meant to say, man, Peter is asleep in his faith. How am I supposed to be awakened if I'm like Peter and asleep in my faith? And the first thing we're, we're meant to see in Jesus is that he imposes himself on, he basically startles Peter into being a part of the situation by saying, hey, Peter, I need your boat. Now, Peter has been doing what? He's been fishing all night long. He's tired. Have you ever done something all night long? And by the time morning comes, you're literally, you're like hallucinating. Like people ask you questions and you just imagine like they're like, you know, like that's where, I think that's where Peter's at. And Jesus imposes himself onto Peter's life. He literally not just brings himself in vicinity, but he gets into his boat and then he says, hey, can you push your boat out into the water? Now, this is the way Jesus begins to awake any of our faith. This is the way Jesus helps us notice him. For any of us who have put our faith in God, Jesus has in some way interrupted your life. If you say, I, am, I put my faith in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, your life is different now than it was before you started following Jesus or before he imposed himself on your life. And we know that because Jesus puts it in very dramatic fashion in Matthew 16 when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life in this world will lose it, but if they lose their life for my sake, they will find it. And so what is Jesus doing here? He's saying, Peter, I'm asking you to deny yourself. I'm asking you to deny your tiredness and take me out in the boat. Why does God demand this of our lives? Why does God impose himself upon us in this way? Why does Jesus interrupt us and annoy us sometimes in this way? Have you ever had Jesus do that to you? Where you're like, he's like, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, not the time. Not the place, Jesus. I've been up all night. I've worked a long day. Why does Jesus do this? He makes these demands on our lives because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' mission is not to make you more comfortable in this life. Let me say that again. Jesus' mission is not to make you more comfortable in this life because this world is passing away. The culture of sin and death that now reign are against the kingdom of Jesus. And so Jesus is going to prod us awake. And some people don't want that. And they'll just be like, no, Jesus, you can't get in my boat. <laughs> <I'm tired. laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Maybe you've been in that place you're like, no. And your heart starts getting hard. And your ears start closing. Like, we, we like to think we always show up in these moments. Like, we're the ones that are going to be committed. But honestly, I think we should just applaud Peter at this moment. Jesus imposes himself upon him. And Peter simply says, yes. Peter goes out in the boat with him. Now, what happens when they're out in the boat? <laughs> this is really funny. Jesus talks. 
And we have no idea what he says because I think we're meant to imagine Peter just sitting there like, oh my gosh, when is this gonna be over? That's kind of what, I don't, I don't understand any other way to read it than that because because we don't get any narrative about what's happening other than Jesus is preaching a sermon and like maybe sometimes what you do on a Sunday morning is you just nod off. And so the whole context actually that we're, we're meant to understand and what Peter's doing is the whole sermon really happens after the sermon where Jesus is done speaking and I think Peter in his mind goes, thank you Lord. I can, I can go home and I can go to bed now because I'm so tired. And what does Jesus do? He invites Peter to live by faith. In that moment where the sermon is done, everybody's gone and Peter's picking up the rose and he's like, we're just gonna go back. I'm so tired. And, and, and so this is point two. Jesus then invites Peter in that moment of absolute weakness, absolute frustration, probably at the end of himself, just ready to tell Jesus off, Jesus invites him, put out into deeper waters and let down your nets. Oh! <laughs> what are you talking about? That is not how you fish. Jesus, you are a carpenter. I get it. You make beautiful cribs. But Jesus, you're not a fisher. You know what fishermen do? Fishermen fish at night. Because they had these big clunky nets and so the fish couldn't see the nets. And they wouldn't fish in deep water. They'd fish... In the shallow, because the nets could reach to the bottom, and then they, and so he, like all these things are probably going on in his mind. Jesus, this is not how you. What, what are we doing? But that's not what he says. He says this, Master, we've worked hard all night. You, you hear his voice. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so. Because you say so, we will let down our nets. Now the word master isn't because because. Peter uses the word master, and later he uses the word Lord after he, the miraculous catch. But before master, literally, the word I think is meant to be translated there, you're the boss. It literally, it's a servant to master interaction. So I think he's like, well, you're the boss. We fished all night. The fishing's not good. And, and for you, this is not you. Like, I get frustrated fishing. Like, I, I just hate it. One time, somebody was very generous with me, and they, they invited me to, like, this this down the Ho River, like fly fishing excursion. We were on canoes getting guided. And like an hour in, I was cold and I was upset. <laughs> I was just mad. I, just, I was like, I just want to be by a fire reading a book. I can fish for a good hour, but these guys have been fishing all night. And this is not me because for me to not catch something, I go to Fred Meyer and I'm like, hey, can I get two pounds of your best salmon? <laughs> like that, that's the situation I'm in. But for them not to, this isn't just insulting because they haven't caught anything. This is their livelihood. So that means not to catch anything. I mean, we, where's food coming from? Right? Where's, so there's a lot going in this. Well, you're the boss. We've worked hard all night. But because you say it, because Jesus, you say this. And I wonder if this is kind of like, like Peter's kind of at the end of himself. But he's like, Jesus is in my boat. I'm not kicking him out. We're just going to do what Jesus says. And Jesus has invited him. To live by faith and not just live by listening. Now, I think there's a really powerful difference between those two things that we're meant to understand here. Peter's heard a lot. He's gone down and listened to John the Baptist. And, and he's heard John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He, he kind of is beginning to understand the, the words 
of who Jesus is. The Lamb of God. He's the Messiah. And he's listened to this over again, but it hasn't transformed itself yet into action. Jesus has even said to him, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But that has just been words. And so much of our, what we call faith is just listening to words. A lot of us know the words. You can probably pick up the Bible and you maybe have a lot of it memorized. You've come to sermon after sermon after sermon. You've heard it. But that is just Jesus in the boat talking at this point. And what Jesus moves into is a lesson of living, living by faith. Not just listening by faith, but living by faith. This is what you do. And when you start doing this, you're going to start awakening. James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Don't deceive yourself. And I think, I think this is the, what Jesus is inviting Peter into. Don't, don't just listen to this. And, and at this point, Jesus, Peter isn't even listening. He doesn't even know what Jesus said. I'm inviting you into living this, to throwing yourself onto me by trusting me. By, but I know you're afraid that if you leave me, I won't be able to provide for you maybe. But man, trust me. Live it out. James after he says, don't deceive yourselves in this way, he says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and food. If one of you says, go in peace and keep warm, you say nice things. But does not do anything about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not occupied by action, is dead. So, so Peter, who has, who has traveled to hear John, who, who's hearing Jesus, his faith is dead, maybe. Maybe it's asleep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you an action that if you trust me, if you, if you throw yourself on me here, this will awaken your faith because faith is confidence in Jesus and a conviction of who he is that acts upon his words. Are you content with just listening by faith, or are you living by faith? Maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, I just feel like so asleep in my faith, and it's because you've heard so much, but you're doing so little. And this is not just a you thing, this is a me thing. <laughs> man, and it's, it's not, I, I feel this so much in my life. I, there's so many times I read, I love reading, I love hearing the word of God preached to me, but if I'm not living it, I'm getting more and more tired and more and more sleepy and I'm wondering more and more, is Jesus really who he says he is? Because faith without deeds, without action, without acting upon those words is dead. We can't just say things, we need to do things. So this is what happens. <laughs> Simon, as small as his faith is, says, because you say this, I will let down my nets. And when they do so, it says, it seems just immediately an immeasurably large number of fish enters their nets. So much so that their nets start breaking and they have to signal the partners to come in. So James and John come out and they, they're filling both boats. And what is Peter's response when he just takes one step of faith and Jesus responds is a conviction of sin. It's amazing. I, I sometimes worry at the state of my heart. I'm like, man, God, why don't I feel love for people? Why am I not convicted by sin? Why don't I? And I think a lot of it is because we're just waiting for it to happen. And we aren't, 
leaning in and living into what God has said. Because when Peter starts living in to what God said, and Jesus just awakens in him that seed of faith, he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is what we see when anyone opens their eyes to see who God is. In Job uh, 42.6, Job says, Now I'm despised and I repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah 6, he says, Woe to me, I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips. Ezekiel sees a vision of God and he says he falls face down before God. This is this moment where Jesus has been in his boat, but he has not even seen him. But he acts in faith and all of a sudden, this person who is just right next to him, he sees him for who he is. You see, guys, this is what happens so often in our faith is that we grow tired. It's not because we're still, not still going through some motions where we're maybe showing up to church, we're still reading our Bibles, but we have stopped taking up our crosses and following Jesus, doing what he's actually invited us to do. We've stopped seeking saving the lost. We've stopped loving our neighbors ourselves. We're not laying down our lives anymore. We're trying to save our lives in this world. We're trying to use the message of Jesus to make more of a comfortable life for ourselves. And we do that, and Jesus can be standing right next to us. Jesus literally can be knocking on the door of our hearts And we can just be really asleep. (laughs) There's so much danger in being somebody that listens by faith a lot, but never lives by faith. And when we start living by faith, Jesus starts opening our eyes to who he is. I think of Isaiah 58, which says, or 59, where he talks about, Isaiah 58, where he talks about the fasting that I want. And he says, the fasting I want isn't for you just to give up foodies. He goes, I want you to break the bonds of injustice. I want you to feed those who are hungry. I want you to clothe those who are poor. And he says, and if you do that, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Guys, how many of us, like we just long for our faith to break forth like the dawn. I think of the, in Ephesians, the, the verses Bob preached on, awaken, O sleeper, let Jesus shine on you. Wake up, wake up. That, that is the message of today. How do we awaken our faith? And it is acting on the invitation of Jesus. Acting on the invitation of Jesus will awaken your faith. Not just listening to the invitation of Jesus. These are two profoundly different things. Listening, because you can listen to the invitation of Jesus all day long and be sitting alongside Peter just picking at your nets but acting on the invitation of Jesus, even when you're tired, even when you're almost done with this whole thing, I promise you will begin to awaken your faith. This won't be the last time that Peter misses the point. (laughs) And we see Jesus not be discouraged but continue pursuing Peter, saying, Peter, Walter, Melissa, Jake, whoever you are, I've picked you. I love you. I've chosen you. I want you. I'm going to keep speaking my words to you over and over and over again and inviting you to act on that. Jesus is not going to stop calling Peter. 
And so my invitation for us today who have heard this and who are embarking on this journey with Peter, deeply flawed and yet faithful, is to ask ourselves, what is Jesus inviting us to do? I think oftentimes we just ask ourselves, what's Jesus inviting us to believe? And a lot of you have really great beliefs. Right? You're, you're rock solid in what you believe. But you wonder, why is my heart growing cold? Why am I just picking at my nets during the sermon? Right? Well, the sermon after the sermon is hearing the invitation of Jesus to live. To live. To, to do, to, to act on this gospel that seeks and saves the lost, that like we sang earlier, that literally resurrects the dead and that can resurrect you. So what is Jesus inviting you to do? Because he wants you to enjoy the feast. He wants you to throw your net, whatever that is, as frustrated you are into the water and let him in that moment fill you up He's wanting to fill you up and make your cup overflow. Jesus wants that for you, but it won't come from just having rock-solid beliefs. It comes from courageous action. Yes, God, I'm tired. I've tried all these things, but I will do it because you have said it. So what is Jesus inviting you to do? So I invite you today and this week, literally just sit maybe with a journal or just sit in the quiet as long as it takes to say, Jesus, what are you inviting me to do with my life not just to think correctly, but live courageously. What are you calling me to do? Because in that moment, Jesus will, like he did with Peter, he'll start changing you and changing the world around you when you cast your net into the sea. Can we do that? Yeah. Wake up, O sleeper, and let Christ shine on you. I'm going to pray for us, and after we pray, I'm going to... Uh, and well, you are invited to pray with uh, Ibrahim if you'd like. Ibrahim's over there on the side. And, and it could be that you are just in the place where you're like, I don't know how to like, pray anymore. <laughs> like that's how asleep I am. If you want somebody to pray for you, I invite you to go over to Ibrahim and just let him, let him pray for you, pray over you. Maybe, maybe if you just want him to pray, God, help me hear again. Help me live according to your word. God, make, make me hear. I just don't feel like I'm hearing anymore. I invite you to go over and be prayed for. We also invite you to take communion. <clears throat> and in taking communion, we always invite you, every week we do this, to confess to God. You might be in the place where you're saying, man, God, there are things I know in my life that are keeping me from hearing from you. And communion's a great time to lay those things at his feet and then respond to his invitation to come again. And so remembering Jesus on the night he was betrayed, taking the cup, which is the new covenant in his blood and the bread, which is his body broken for you, and just going, today, I believe this, and I'm gonna live on it. So pray with me, and we'll take communion together. But God, we live in, uh, in a time where there is so much comfort. I think some of us have heard your words and we responded and it was just like this excitement that we, we, we heard someone say, Jesus, he's the, lamb, he's the one that takes away the sins of the world. He can take away your sins. He can give you new life. And we responded. We were excited. And now we find ourselves just picking out our nets. 
God, I pray that we will respond in action. We will live our lives for you. We won't just listen by faith, but we'll live by faith. God, I pray that you will show each of us opportunities to do that, whether that's at work or with our family. It could just be we start living faith by just consistently sitting down with our families and talking about you. Maybe neighbors we've been avoiding for a long time that you're inviting us to just knock on their door and say hi. God, to build relationships with people that we're, we're helping seek and save the lost because that's your mission, not to make us more comfortable here, but to invite us into your life everlasting. God, I pray that you'll just yeah, burn, set our hearts on fire, God, for this. Thank you that you love us even when we're flawed. And you don't want to leave us there. You want to invite us to walk in faithfulness. Help us respond to that invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.